You're listening to Hellbent for Metal, the podcast that battles stereotypes by having a bi man and a gay man talk about some of the greatest heavy metal bands of all time and only sometimes criticising their fashion choices. Um, the weird thing is that's one gay stereotype I do occasionally fall prey to, but basically never do. And then this podcast, we have frequently done it. I'm absolutely not interested or attuned to fashion in any way, except when it comes to metal bands looking gay. When all of a sudden... <laughs> I'm all over that shit. It's a particular niche. Yes, and we appear to be occupying it and staking a claim to it and fighting anyone who approaches it. Um, uh, yeah, pretty much it's ours at this point. Yes, it is It is us. Um, this is Hellbent for Metal, the LGBT plus heavy metal podcast, and if you're wondering why I haven't started this with an on-topic joke, it's because we're not really here this week. We are off enjoying the festivities in lockdown. Um, Woo! Yeah, um, and recorded the straight <laughs> after we recorded last week's episode. Uh, but other than the joke at the top, you hopefully won't notice the difference. Uh, because I am still Tom, and still talking to me through the miracle of voice over IP is someone whose Christmas stocking was full of incredibly heavy music and also eyeshadow in a shade that can only be described as flaming. Mr. Joe Narn. Uh <laughs> Joe, what will you really have been doing when this podcast is actually out? Uh, I... Uh, I... Just playing World of Warcraft. It's all I do now. I like. It's quite Merry sad, Christmas, but I've everyone. Back to being a fifteen-year-old, and like all I do now is sit and play video games in my bedroom. I kind of hate the it. Dream. But there's part of me that loves it a little bit. Yeah, I miss humans. <laughs> so what you really want is to uh, find yourself a partner who is just as nerdy as you, and then you can play video games in the living room together. Exactly. Uh, which is an in- little insight into my life. Uh, <laughs> As ever, if you are part of the LGBT plus community and you help make heavy metal happen, uh, we'd love to feature your story in one of our In My Kingdom queer pieces. Uh, so if you'd like your voice to be heard on this part, please do reach out to us. We can be found on email to tom.hbfm at gmail.com or for the people who are you know, my age or younger on Twitter, where we are at hbfmpod, where our DMs are open. Uh, I'm sure there are younger people who use email, but I'm, I'm told it's amongst the... Uh, the generation who who considers uh, bring me your, to the horizon to have a classic era, um, email is is very passe. Uh, <laughs> uh, to, to, just on the uh, Twitter DMs as well, if you get a short reply that's to the point, that'll be from Joe. If you get a long reply with semicolons and long adverbs, that will have been me, and I'm very sorry. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, uh, Joe's not going to argue with me when uh, he knows that I'm being uh, accurate. Um, we begin this week with a camp classic, and uh, this week is a modern and I think underappreciated gem. This is uh, Telos by Between the Buried and Me from their 2012 album The Parallax 2 Future Sequence, which is one of their more memorable titles, and it's not a memorable title, which says an awful lot about their titles. <laughs> uh, Joe, are you a Between the Buried and Me fan at all? Uh, yes and no. Uh, yes in that what I've heard I think is cool, and I very much appreciate what they do and who they are. But no, in that, if I'm honest, I've never sat down with one of their records because the progressive metal thing often loses me a bit. Yeah, I know uh, you're not a big one for long things, are you? Rarely. It's weird. Sometimes I absolutely am. And oftentimes I would rather things were 35 seconds long and just boom. But you're definitely <laughs> not one for 70 minute albums. Very, very, very rarely. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I will agree that <laughs> length is, but you know, brevity is often the soul of wit. Uh, I will say though that I, I kind of 
starting relatively early, I I got into Between the Buried of Me, but quite in passing, and then got into them in, with increasing degrees of, of enthusiasm as time went on, because basically every album I liked previously more than the one that came before it. Uh, the the Great Misterette was a bit of an exception because I only liked that almost as much as Colours, but Colours was so good that you know, that was that was fair enough. Uh, and then this came out, and I thought it wasn't just their best record, it was their best record by miles. I thought it was amazing. Uh, and I haven't liked anything they've done since, apart from Automata 2, which I really did like, uh, but I like for very different reasons, because they basically abandoned what they were doing and went, we're going to go full prog, we want to kind of cut the metal bit out, and all the kind of the wacky, really aggressive stuff they, they, they removed. So this, for me, is kind of like the last great hurrah of the Between the Buried and Me that I really, really loved and then kind of forgot about. Um, but that doesn't really cover why this is this is this is in any way camp because you think mm, wacky prog metal what's camp about that <laughs> um for most of this song it is heavy as balls mad shit so stand up between the buried and me nothing to see here move along then there's this bit in the middle which suddenly turns into prog metal show tunes and it is the full Cole Porter. And all of a sudden, I find myself doing jazz hands. There's armography <laughs> going on. Uh, and I, this is me just sitting here in my living room and, I, and I'm doing all this stuff. Uh, and I can feel that I'm about to try and impersonate Patti Lupone singing Anything Goes, which is when we're all in big trouble. Uh, are you with me on any of this or have I totally lost my mind again? Yeah, no, I think I sort of see it. I, I do agree that for the most part, Prog is often synonymous with straight. It's there's something about it that's there is just, something just very fifty-year-old, fourteen-year-old um... <laughs> in tow who doesn't want to be there. Heterosexual man who's you know might have had a furtive look at his uh, bunk mate having a wank at boarding school once, but other than that, has never had any homosexual experience to speak of. That is about as 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 gay as prog normally gets. I'd, I'd like to clarify that was all Tom. Uh, but I don't necessarily disagree. Uh, but yeah, this is definitely camper than a lot of that. I, I yeah, uh, yeah, it's odd. It's <laughs> because, like you say, it kind of feels like one song that someone's then made a cut right in the middle and just opened it up and gone. I'm just going to chuck something entirely different in, and it's just this blindingly over the top. It's just bonkers. It is. I can't quite wrap. It's quite a lot to take in. It's quite a long song. It's about it 10 is minutes long. It is. And so I've still not fully wrapped my head around it. So I'm sort of coming to terms with... I've heard it a few times at this point, but it's just coming to terms with what it is as a as a concept. Yeah. It's nuts. I mean, for most <laughs> of it as well, I have to say, this is a very specific bit. It is not the whole song because most of the song is just, you know, it's standard, really aggressive prog metal with shouty vocals. It's just when he starts to the bit where he goes goodbye to all I've known in in clean vocals, and it's it's kind of is the do do is the the big open chords. Um, but the reason it sets this off is that, like it or not, gay men are and likely will be for some time to come linked to musical theatre. Uh, which is why I make the joke about me being a fan of musical theatre, but not a fan of musical theatre. Uh, and this reminds me of that. And it, it it can't help but set off the association as a result. But I can't help feeling 
that it's a bit shitty that my lot can't escape that association. It's is that just me to feel that way? No, not at all. I've often thought the whole. I mean, there's definitely more to this, but the whole thing of being camp means you're gay is bizarre to me in the first place. Because I don't necessarily think of myself as being overly camp. Uh, I I have camp tendencies, I think, but I don't think I'm... I don't think I necessarily come across as this, like, really overly flamboyant person. And I think but you do also like women, let's not forget. Which well, does, no, true. Which but does change things slightly. But there are also like so many people I know that are are incredibly camp and overly flamboyant that are completely straight and vice versa. And it's just always been I think that's I think the musical theatre thing ties into that to some extent. And there have been countless people over the years that have said either you know, either are gay and like musical theatre, but have said, Why does this why are these two things connected or are gay and don't like musical theatre or are straight and like musical theatre and every possible variation and it's just I I don't understand the ties or the links if I'm being honest well I mean to an extent it's it's kind of impossible to get away from because there are yeah. there ha- you know particularly if you go into the roots of um modern musical theatre there was an awful lot of gay men involved in it mm. and it was um the Cole Porter reference is, is is a good one because Cole Porter wrote like so many of the classic American uh, musicals. I mean, if you do a quick rundown of songs that Cole Porter wrote for anyone who doesn't know who he is, uh, he wrote Anything Goes and I Get a Kick Out of You in the same musical. He wrote You Do Something to Me, Don't Fetch Me In, Every Time We Say Goodbye, Too Dumb Hot and I've Got You Under My Skin. Like some of the all-time classic songs in the American songbook. So the influence that gay men have had, and Cole Porter was definitely one of my type, um, and it's it's indelible that there was a, that era had an awful lot of uh, closeted often uh, gay men who were attached to it. And if you read anything on uh, the musical theatre culture of Weimar Berlin, which is particularly interesting, that it, because that was one of the rare places in the world where there were a lot of out gay men in the twenties and you know, the very early bit of the thirties, um, there were an awful lot of of gay men involved in there and there are awful lot of jews involved in there and that was not because that there is something you know inherently linking either being gay or being jewish to musical theater it's because it was an art form that was um digressive and rebellious and those were two groups who had been socially marginalized by society and you know it was one very rare place where they were allowed to be have full freedom of expression and that there is some kind of link between the history of being a a group that has to sit in the closet and doing an art form which started out being quite rebellious because it was it was obviously a big counterpoint to a lot of things um so there that link is there whether we like it or not it is but i feel like it's a it's it's a perfect example of how the society we live in refuses to change uh in regards to things like that where they'll they'll have this one viewpoint or opinion that's been ingrained decades ago and then just go, oh, that's how it is. And yeah. refuse to just be like, you know, because I, I, you know, I don't think we should ever underestimate the impact that a lot of those people had on that art form and how they played a key role in it developing and becoming so successful. But in the same way, 
that doesn't mean that it necessarily goes vice versa. You see, you, if that makes sense, you yeah, know, just because a lot of gay people were in, um, were a vital part of it becoming what it is, doesn't mean that what it is can only then be for gay people, because then that's just baffling and ridiculous. Yes, completely. But yeah, anyway, on this the got, positive, uh, on the positive <laughs> side, though, we have to say that. Gay men have made some enormous contributions to culture, and that is something to celebrate. And Cole Porter is one of the most kind of shining examples, partly because of when he was operating, you know, a time when he couldn't be who he was in public. Uh, but, you know, he, he's one of the few people from that era who there's kind of, oh, was he, where we go, no, he definitely was. It's not like rumours and euphemisms. It's it's quite clear. And, you know, because there, are, uh, there is a, a tendency for out gay men not to win stuff, we're still waiting on a best actor Oscar for a man, uh, and particularly, you know, you have to say as well that out gay cis men are way more visible than any other stripe of the LGBT plus flag. So we need to kind of celebrate the few victories we can get. And someone who has had this huge influence on culture, who is one of our lot, uh, an association with them, I think actually can be taken, you know, the other way, and be something to celebrate. So that it's reminding me of one of the great cultural heroes of of the LGBT community, uh, and this song reminds me of him. I hear um, the middle of, of Telos, and I'm I'm already hearing you know anything goes start up in my head because there is a a link between those two melodies, and um, particularly the opening uh, of that song, and that's something I want to embrace. And also, I should probably say that. It's possibly what that link is possibly also why I like Automata 2 more than the other two albums they've done since because it's got a voice a song in it called Voice of Trespass which is right back in this territory. It's it's once more in classic show tunes territory and I'm going ah there we go there we go Cole's back <laughs> I, I and I'm happy again. Yeah, I do think that's cool. I think any time that there's something that can be used as a vessel to celebrate those things is amazing. And uh, I this might be an unlikely one, but if it works, then it works. Yeah. Well, at least you haven't said I'm completely batshit and and you know resigned from the podcast immediately. <laughs> not yet. No, I'm not still yet. holding that card back. Yeah, yeah. I, don't worry. I will. I will try and not say bad things about you know who too much. <laughs> um, but that's probably enough show tunes and prog metal for one episode. We will have more fabulous boys in fashionably cut shirts as soon as I can get away with it. Uh, but probably not next week because we'll be in uh, much more denim clad territory. Ooh, yes. Um, Joe knows what I did there, but he's saying nothing. We now come to the final roundup of our favourite stuff from 2020 with our top 10 records of the year. Uh, the same rules apply as last week. Uh, Joe can't have anything off his employers. I can, but we won't discuss it in depth. Uh, we will each run through our top 10s with the elevator pitch summary. Uh, and then pick one to go into detail on, and then we'll swap. Uh, as before, Joe, I will let you go first. Uh, would you please give us your 10 favourite records of 2020 that you didn't work on? <laughs> yeah, specify that specifically. Okay, so number 10 is Glory, Glory, Apathy Took Helm by Vile Creature. Uh, oppressive, but positive sounding, uh, positively minded doom metal. Uh, it's amazing. Nine is Terminal Nations. Can I just sound extinction. Vile Creature? Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, that's so good. Uh, number nine is Holocene Extinction by Terminal Nation, which we've already talked about. Amazing street-level death metal. Eight is Chromatica by Lady Gaga, which is an incredible, very camp 
club pop record with some of the best pop moments of the year easily on it. 1997 called Sash wants his music back. Oh, get out. Um, Seven is Ulcerate Stare Into Death and Be Still, which we'll go into on a little bit more depth. Six is Ohms by Deftones. Uh, it's They're my favourite band of all time, and I just think this is another really interesting step in a direction that they haven't quite done before. Waiting for Tom to slag it off. World's most boring band. There it is. Uh, five is Visions of Bodies Being Burned by Clipping, which is horrifying experimental hip-hop with lots of harsh noise elements, and it's fucking great. Uh, four is The Entombment of Chaos by uh, Skeletal Remains, which we've also talked about. Um, just incredible two, yeah. early Cannibal Corpse-sounding death metal. Fucking brilliant. Great fun. Uh, three is Disco 4 Part 1 by Health, which is a bonkers electronic record. Every single track has a featured uh, artist, everything from Youth Code to uh, 100 Gex to... I'm now drawing a blank on who else is on it. But it's brilliant. It's all over the shop and catchy as hell and just great. Uh, number two is Black Waves by Svartkonst, which we've also talked about. Really impactful black and roll with a lot of weight behind it and just wicked songs. And number one, shocker, is Future Nostalgia by Dua Lipa, which is just a, a, an amazing disco pop record that doesn't overstay its welcome and just has immaculately written songs. I think and it's 1990 called Madonna Wants Her Music Back. It's called Future Nostalgia. That's the point. Yeah. And that is a very deliberate uh, nod to Madonna, FYI. Yes. Um, I mean, it, it, is, it is so Madonna. I mean, that's not a criticism, by the way. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to no, talk in depth about Dua Lipa, but I like there is no such thing as you know a a Madonna reference that I'm going to immediately turn my uh, eyes up <laughs> unless it is her ripping off ABBA, which is a crime and no one is allowed to do ever. Well, um, yeah. except Ghost. I will let Ghost can do what they want because they do it respectfully. Um, Madonna just... and it's not an actual direct rip off either. No, well I don't know. There's there's moments. There's the odd moment where I'm going, Benny, Benny, yeah, get your lawyers. <laughs> Let's not go into that either. Let's let's not go into that because we will be here forever. And uh, just to confirm, your your pick for to for further discussion is uh, ulcerate, stare into death, and be still. Uh, and why have you gone into the? Have you chosen this one? Because it is probably the most dizzying and horrifying thing I've heard this year. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about it that feels like you're being dragged into an abyss that you're never going to get out of, and it's it's maddeningly just it's just a whirlwind of blistering black and death metal and it's it's really jarring still to this day i put it on and i'm as affected as i am the first time i heard it and i think that's something worth championing <laughs> is this your starting point with them it is actually yes yes which probably does mean i'm probably a little bit more impacted by it than people that have heard their whole discography um Actually, well, and there will be some people who that will be true for, but I got in. I first heard them on Everything Is Fire, which goes back quite a long way in their in their catalogue, uh, and didn't really get it. I think it was just uh, it was the wrong stage of what I was into. Uh, and then I heard the Destroyers of All and really got into them, mm-hmm. and went, "Oh God, this is terrifying!" And it had that <laughs> similar kind of impact for me. 
I have to say though that every time I come back to one of that album, I find it as terrifying as the first time. I mean, I do, I don't. There's no kind of getting into cold water thing where eventually you just kind of you get to a certain extent get used to it. You don't find necessarily find it pleasant, but it's you can cope with it. I never get that with Ulcerate. They're always terrifying. There's and something. We, go on. I was just going to say, there's just something about it. There's something almost insidious about it that just yeah. it feels lurching, but in a way that it's it's not waiting to attack it it's like it's very it's unbelievably ferocious and it's constantly on the attack but it, they're still it almost feels like there's an even greater danger just kind of waiting behind the uh the insane ravaging that you're putting yourself through <laughs> yes i mean there it there do feel like there's some kind of lovecraftian horror lurking mm-hmm. in the abyss behind them um what we should probably say for for to describe them it is incredibly technical like really stupidly technical yeah um sort of death metal with kind of storming and chaos rather than brutality being being the weapons yeah uh, but with a massive death spell omega in, influence and I, I really don't want to talk about that band too much because <laughs> while they are really influential and absolutely terrifying a french black metal band uh who've been like, if you've listened to any black metal over the course of the last five years half of the new black metal bands come along sound like they've listened to death spell omega and that has been increasingly the case for the last decade uh the problem is that their singer is indefensible to put it mildly um so i don't really want to plug them but ulcerate are basically the the death metal version of them and the inspiration is so clear that we can't really avoid it uh i i'm guessing given uh when you came along into music and when we discovered who the singer is uh you've listened to rather less death spell omega than i have uh yeah they're actually a band that were always on my radar mainly because people like yourself or uh jonathan seltzer at metal hammer i think was a was a big big fan yes very definitely yeah very like a few other people were really in their camp as you know before all that stuff came out of being very like you know they are they they are the band kind of thing yeah. So they were always on my radar, but I think uh, as I was getting into music, it was uh, listening to them was quite a leap to take because it is, you know, if it sounds anything like this, it's uh, it's a lot. It's not entry level. It's extreme more. music. I mean, Ulcerate um, are comparatively accessible. I think certainly to compare well, to their later works. There you go. I never actually got around to listening to Death Bell Omega because it just felt like something that was almost too too dense to even attempt to get into. saying that without ever hearing it but just from the descriptions i've been given so let's move on from them and talk about ulcerate instead um how kind of how much do you find yourself remembering the individual songs uh pretty much not at all and i think that good weirdly i think that's not just me no i weirdly think that kind of plays in its favor though um it's one of those records that i remember as being a record i absolutely love but if you were to tell me if you'd say, pick out your favourite songs, I probably couldn't even do that. Um, but I quite like the fact that every time I go back into it, it feels almost like a new experience. Which is something I I, I don't think works for a lot of bands, because you do find yourself just going, well, what's the point if I'm listening to it and then it's instantly gone and I don't know what I just did for the last hour. Yeah. But with this, because it is so effective and affecting, I think it does almost play in its favour that it, it almost... You st- I still don't know what's waiting around the corner, sort of thing. 
Um, and with a record like this that you want to be that full on and intent, you know, this is very much a record I have to be in a certain mood to listen to. I can't put this on as yes, soon as I wake up. I can't put this on, you know, if I've just got some really great news about something, I'm not going to be like, I'm going to listen to that Ulcerate record because it will make me question whether life itself even exists. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I quite, I quite like the fact that it's this endlessly confusing piece of art that I can go back to and constantly feel like I'm getting something new from. How often do you find yourself in the mood for it? Because that, for me, is always the critical thing with how much you're going to actually enjoy this record long term. Also, very rarely. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's something that I put on. I've probably, I this is probably the record on my list that I've actually heard the least, um, and it's right. because I've only listened to this a handful of times throughout the year. And this came out quite early on in the year as well. Um, yeah, it did. But I've, I, I want to be in that mood to listen to it as well it's not just it's not necessarily just a case of i can only listen to it if i'm feeling this i could just put this on in the background whilst i'm doing something else or i could listen to this whilst i walk to the shop or whatever but i'm not going to get the same out of it and i i want to be at that point where i can get the most out of that record and uh despite the fact that this has been a, a maddeningly depressing and uh, a bizarre Shit. year uh, and this is quite a maddeningly bizarre and oppressive record. I've not actually found myself. Maybe, maybe that's why. Maybe I've just found myself leaning towards comfort more than discomfort this year, and that's why this hasn't been on too much. But I can see this being a record I come back to in future years. Yeah, I hope you're right. The re I obviously have have listened to a few more of their albums, and I have to say, I have a I have a fairly predictable pattern with any ulcerate record that has now been the case for i think four possibly five records of theirs i tend to listen to it think fuck this is amazing this is better than the last one there's more it's much better composed the riffs are even more terrifying the ideas are even more horrible and the vocalist has learned even more how to scare the living shit out of us <laughs> yeah and i never lose that impression and every time I go back to it, I think think that again. I don't. It's not something that on repeat listens. I find myself thinking, "Oh no, you would, you would, you know, you would, you were caught up in the moment." It's not that good. But I very, very rarely find myself wanting to experience it again, mm. and that I end up six months on, listen to it almost never, and a year out, I have completely stopped listening to it. This could easily have been in my top 20, but because I have had this experience with Ulcerate so many times, I'm kind of, I'm aware that the that I am now slightly past it. Not as in I'm old. Um, <laughs> I, I have plenty of life in me. Yeah, thank you very much. But I'm, I have, I've moved on from this album already and that that's one thing against it. So I would say that I don't think your experience of, not finding yourself wanting to listen to it is necessarily just you or just this year. I, if you are listening to it in a year, I'll be very glad you've got more out of it than I have. Good for you. Uh, unfortunately for me, I agree with everything you've said, including I don't find myself wanting to listen to it very often, <laughs> yeah, which I is the that. only reason it's excluded from my top 20. Cause I there's... mean, it is a bizarre thing to say about an album I'm trying to champion is going, oh it's great you won't want to listen to it <laughs> it is <laughs> it just so terrifying it's like it is like 
like if you you've seen the film Knives Out, right? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah great. great film. And the great one of the great things about that film is that I saw that and immediately wanted to go back and watch it again. And I will probably want to keep wanting to go back and wanting to watch it again for quite a lot of viewings. There are though films that you see and you go, well, I'm not watching that again because that was an experience. Like I, I think it is very unlikely that I will want to ever watch Schindler's List again, or um, or The Pianist or films like that. But I'm I'm glad I have, and I think they're you know, they're quality films. Shame about Roman Polanski being you know, awful, but Schindler's List was is safer because Steven Spielberg isn't him. Um, yeah, that's an amazing film, but I'm I'm not going to watch it ever again because it's such hard work. Yeah. and sometimes you know whether or not you think a film is or an album is replayable, as in, in something you're going to watch again isn't necessarily related to how good you think it is yeah yeah this to me is like uh i would assume that maybe you haven't seen it there's a french horror film called martyrs which is sort of notoriously horrific and it is a hard watch it will it will turn your stomach several times but it's a film where all of the horror plays into the actual story and amplifies why it's a brilliant film and to me, this feels like that. It's, it's horror and its brilliance are the same, and that is the thing that will both make you love it and make you want to stay away from it. <laughs> and that I think is probably the best way to sum that up. So uh, let's, let's move on from on. there because I don't think either of us are going to top what Joe just said on that. I think that's too perfect. Um, <laughs> let's finish this up for 2020 and and round up my top ten. Uh, as last week, a bunch of this we've already spoken about. Literally everything else has been on my blog at some point. Uh, so if you hear something that you think sounds interesting, go to killwithpower.com and search for the band, you'll find it. Um, that's sorted. Uh, my top 10 is... Uh, I'm going to need some help with pronunciation from the audience. So. <laughs> yeah, you're not getting so, help from me. So I'd like to say for the first one, anyone who speaks Portuguese, and particularly anyone who speaks Brazilian Portuguese, uh, I'm very, very sorry for what I'm about to do to your beautiful language. Uh, number 10 is Carteira with Soquem Viu Arrelampogo a Sua Direte Sabe, which is absolutely heart-wrenchingly beautiful, partially acoustic Brazilian eco-black metal. I, I love this. It's so, so warm and happy. O- opposite of warm and happy, number nine is Fluisterarisch with Blurm, and I'm very sorry to the Dutch and <laughs> and the Flemish-speaking Belgians, uh, and, and probably uh, South African Afrikaners as well. I'm just offending everyone who doesn't speak English today. Uh, this is intensely agoraphobic, fairly cold Dutch black metal that sounds like you're having a panic attack in a field on a summer's day with no one to help you. It's brilliant and it's actually surprisingly accessible for how appallingly frightening it is to actually experience because the music isn't frightening it's the emotions that are number eight is lotus thief with oristea and finally a name i can pronounce without offending someone uh we spoke about this in episode five it's really kind of beautiful warm uh lyrical post-metal uh seven is code orange with underneath again something i can pronounce accurately woohoo um (laughs) The most exciting band in the world. Push the envelope even further. I love this even more than Joe does. Uh, he had it in his uh, twenty to eleven last week. This is this was this could easily be my number one. This is brilliant. Number six, Terminal Nation, Holocene Extinction. We spoke about it two weeks ago, and Joe just mentioned it, so I'll move on. Uh, five is Fintral with Vrestevavd. Um 
which again, I'm sorry to all Swedish speakers, that was dreadful. Uh, we spoke about this in episode one. Uh, it's the most fun folk metal imaginable. I'm still not bored of it. Joe's still wrong about it. Um, number four is Enslaved with Utgard. Uh, the most adaptable band in metal have changed again and got better yet again. Just that band is just fucking incredible. Uh, number three is Cassad with London Orbital. We're going to talk about this in a minute, so I'll move on. Uh, number two is Violet Kid uh, with... No, it's not. It's Violet Cold with Noir Kid, not Violet <laughs> Kid with Noir Cold. That's something completely different. Uh, Violet Cold, Noir Kid. Uh, we spoke about this in episode six. It's it's everything metal. It's It may, might not even be metal. It's just everything. It's everything in a jar, uh, and it's wonderful and uplifting and beautiful, and I still don't agree with Joe at all on it. Um, and number one is Unrequited with Empathica. We did this in the first episode, but I'm gonna, just going to say it again. It's an absolute post-orgasmic cuddle of a record. It is like being hugged by someone that loves you when you're having a really bad day. It's just beautifully uplifting. So that's 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 my top ten. Uh, and my, my pick to talk about in more depth is Cassad's uh, London Orbital. The, the, kind, the elevator pitch version would be it is one man black metal with lots of posty stuff but that kind of that doesn't sell it at all um i'm always slightly concerned when i i ask joe to listen to black metal because he is mega into some of it but it's quite picky as to what he <laughs> is, he likes so very put me picky out, put me out of my misery joe have i uh absolutely sold you a lemon i've been really nervous about this because i'm about to say something that you might eat me alive for I made a joke about Dua Lipa, I think it's fair. Okay, yeah. Uh, to me, and I think this is mostly down to production than anything else, the band this reminds me the most of is probably Altar of Plagues. No, that's, that is a that's good fair. thing. That's oh, fair. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I was going into this going, he worships Altar of Plagues, like they are yeah. an actual Altar of Plagues. Yeah, my favourite band to exist in my time of actually listening to music, so you know, excluding you people who were founded before I got into them. So I was terrified that if I came into this going, oh, it sounds like Order of Plagues, and you were like, no, it doesn't sound anything like Order I was on edge. But to me, I think it's a combination of the production, and again, similarly to what I said with your other pick that we discussed last week, Vraderhammer, uh, the artwork on not just this record, but his other releases, are all quite distinctly modern, in that they're all yes. architecture or... And something about that has affected how I reacted to the record. I think I'm quite a visual person anyway, and so artwork does often influence how I uh, I digest a record. And that weirdly modern, almost city, like uh, metropolitan feeling, I think is one of the other things that drew me to Alter of Plague somewhat, because I think Alter of Plagues have that to some extent. Oh, I'm going to disagree with you there. Uh, Ultra Plagues are from Cork, which is a, a the, the second biggest city in the Republic of Ireland, uh, and it's really quite a small city. Uh, <laughs> Ireland yeah. is very, very... Ireland is a wonderful country. It's one of the greatest places in the world. Lovely people, really rich culture, just music everywhere. You know, People just have a fantastic attitude to creativity, and uh, that's partially why they've got so many great bands. And Ultra Plagues, for me, are just the fucking best of them. But 
I always they always felt much more Irish than any kind of metropolitan band could. I get because that. there simply aren't enough cities in Ireland that are well, there aren't any cities in Ireland that are big enough to be called metropolis. No, that was maybe the wrong word to use. I think it's less that it, I think because a lot of black metal feels distinctly rooted in the woods. Uh, yeah, not necessarily folky stuff, but it's all very. Uh, I can't find the best word for it, but it's alpine. Just, it's it's yeah, it's, it's, it's pine forests of 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 the subarctic isn't it exactly and this feels like i mean obviously this more so than alter plague i also feel like i need to specify feels like it was created somewhere which is a bizarre thing to say but it does feel like it was created somewhere where there's you know other life (laughs) you know there's other things going on as opposed to just you know you might see a wolf (laughs) critically i think the alter plagues are a good comparison but they have there's two things missing from the the two things that are in Ultra Plague's sound that isn't in Cassad. Ultra Plague's definitely had a big Decibel Omega influence. I mentioned them before, um, mm-hmm. but they they also had a big uh, was in the Throne Room influence because they were yeah. you know, when they started they were very much part of that atmospheric black metal thing which lasted a few years and really got oversaturated. It's kind of kept itself going, but it's only the more the more kind of interesting bands who've kept it going most of the ones who were boring have been killed off uh, apart from a bunch of racist ones who won't talk about but there's been some interesting stuff happening there but alt replays moved away from that relatively quickly but the bit that uh, of their career that Cassad sound like is the bit where they had that just that they've got that taken out if that makes sense yeah so uh-huh but there's there's also the thing they remind me of emotionally is the first voices album I actually I was going to bring up voices but yeah. I haven't heard that record enough to be able to make a a, a confident comparison. I came the arse off the first two voices record <laughs> so hard but particularly the first one because it was there's something I because I grew up and lived as for uh, you know the majority of my adult life in London I have an awful lot of really strong instinctive connections to anything about London and that the the moment I hear anything that really inspire inspires the kind of feelings that London gave me when I realised I wanted to leave it, I really am into because it's that kind of that sense of being incredibly alone in a place that is so full of people that you can't move for them. So it's incredibly crowded and you don't have a connection to anyone. And this really captures that beautifully. It's a lot less anarchic and chaotic and and just ragingly hateful as. Um, that first voices album was and it's you know certainly the the technicality is a lot lower because david gray the drummer from voices and akakoka he's an amazing musician that he's ridiculously talented this is a lot more uh stripped down and focused and minimalist than tech than it is technical it's in fact the song structuring is very minimalist one of the things i love about is how um minimalist the style is because it's it's so based kind of simple building blocks layering on top of each other and then taking them away again is it's there's there's an almost almost um philip glass thing going on it's not quite as 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 precise as that because philip glass is magnificent but it's there's a little bit of that and it's the the thing that it the reason i I agree, I accept the Ultra Plagues comparison, but I don't. The reason I enjoy them is very different to what I get out of Ultra Plagues. Is that Ultra Plagues very much feel like it's about life and death and 
and the earth and the world and you know lots of really kind of huge concepts this just feels much more self-contained and this feels like that i i described it when i wrote about it because i i just had to write about this one because i was I, I couldn't get it out of my brain it's like walking out of archway station if you've had a shitty half hour on a sweaty neon lit northern line train to walk into pissing cold rain in the middle of november and immediately cr- confronted by the really grim, grimy brownness of of the buildings that are surround Archway Station, um, and surrounded by humans who are all kind of desperate for a warm bed, some food, and some really good social worker intervention, because there's an awful lot of social problems in in that area, and a lot of them tend to congregate around the station. Um, and knowing you've got to spend all day with a bunch of people you can't really connect with on a human level. It's it's that incredible sense of claustrophobia that you can only get in a really heaving city. And it's it's so it, it's just so visceral for me and just plugs into so many things that although I think the music is great, on an emotional level, this just gets me going in all kinds of very specific ways. Um as someone who lives in London but didn't didn't necessarily grow up there, is that something that you have a similar vibe to? Um, it's something I understand, but if anything, I think I react quite the opposite way. Um, in that I almost it's a bizarre thing. I I think I almost have that um, I almost have that thing where because there are so many other people around and it almost highlights your insignificance. I almost find comfort in that because I know that okay, you know, I'm not a uh, I'm not necessarily being singled out at all. I'm not. You see, what I mean, I almost find no, no, no. I it's get almost that. like a. Uh, um, it's it's. Oh God, I can't find my words at all. Um, <clears throat> it's almost like a a cover that I can exist underneath. It's just like a. There's just this sheet across everything where it's like everything is the same, and there's always stuff going on. Anything you do will just be another thing going on amongst all the other things going on. And I quite enjoy that. I don't. I don't really feel like I could live anywhere else now because everywhere else feels too desolate. <laughs> Fair enough. To speak to me again when you've had ten years of it, because it. Well, does, that's the other thing. Yeah. Time. Time is. Time does change your perception. Yeah, hundred percent. But to, to get back to the album on a purely musical level, the other thing I I love that it it does is it's there's some post stuff influence, and I'm I'm not going to get into my nerd rage about whether or not post black metal is actually a thing um they, <laughs> because it isn't but let's not just do that now um there's a the th- but the, the effect the kind of the post metal with black metal stuff has is that a lot of black metal um some of it can be really fiery but it requires a very particular guitar sound if it doesn't have that it tends to sound pretty cold um, um the classic example being um uh immortals uh battles in the north which is one of the most frosty frozen records you've ever heard but if you put that kind of post metal thing into into it, it you you get this kind of because post metal can often feel quite warm. What you ha- can get is this sense of being warm yourself, but surrounded by cold. So like you've you've just been somewhere hot and you've walked out into a freezing cold day, which is why I get the you've just walked off the stuffy tube train into the pissing cold rain thing. And this really gives me that, and I really love that kind of sensation of. I'm currently feeling this now, but I'm being threatened by something that's is going to feel much less comfortable. And I really, really love the way he uses it. I, it's so clever. Yeah, that's cool. I, I think I need to listen to it a bit more 
to properly dive because it is it's quite a it's not a particularly long record. Really, no, it isn't. But it's it does feel quite not dense because it's not like there's a million things going on, but it just feels like there's a lot to unpack. Yeah, I'm. And the, the the reason it's quite difficult is, I mean, it is only thirty eight minutes, so it isn't long at all. But the reason it feels like there's there's a lot to unpack, I think, is because he uses repetition very well. Black metal's yeah. always had a, a heavy dose of repetition, and sometimes it's it's been used in a kind of in a lazy way, and sometimes it's just been used to um, essentially make stuff that it should be quite short, long. But because what he's doing is basically taking an idea and then examining it a number of different ways, I don't think that the the effect is quite quite as as negative as it can be. I think it's got much more of that kind of mesmeric thing where it just kind of you get even if you're listening to it and you're really trying to pay attention, you're really concentrating, you kind of find yourself drifting because it's so hypnotic that you can't really anchor yourself. And I've you know I have a number of times tried to do nothing but listen to this album, and I eventually found I had to find something to do with my hands so that I I had at least something to to something you know routine even if it's just kind of just drawing tracing a pattern so that my brain had something basic to anchor itself on otherwise i just found myself losing it and not yeah. kind of losing my head just i would just kind of drift away drift into off. this kind of peaceful sense it's it, oh yeah i could oh i loved <laughs> it i'm so impressed by this album and virtually no one seems to have picked up on it and i'm baffled because i think first i've heard of it was when you brought it up if I'm honest, yeah, um, um, that's that seems to be most people's thing is that there's a couple of people who've heard about it, and loads of people who would like it just haven't heard it. Yeah, I can think of a lot of people that I think would enjoy this, and I do echo what you just said there. I think I I've always been a fan of repetition of music because I think it's I, I think a lot of people do consider it as something that's quite lazy, but I think it can be used to like genuinely incredible effect. Uh, you get it a lot in a lot of electronic music where it does just create this it just creates a landscape where you can just lose yourself in and it does become weirdly hypnotic and trance-like and i think that's something i've started to realize i really like in a lot of black metal records when it they use repetition as a way to kind of spin you out and you know make you kind of reassess what you're maybe what you're listening to but also the uh, it sort of makes you reassess the perspective that you're listening to it from i think sure well i'm i'm certainly glad that you you are into this and that I haven't given you a horrible time. <laughs> There's definitely a few of the others on here that I listened to and went, oh, I'm glad he's not talking about this one. Yeah, I bet. Uh, I, <laughs> let's, but let's, let's not um, you know, puncture my illusions no, of, of no, my of favourite records. But uh, <laughs> w I think we should leave the years gushing for now. We will yes. be back with more stuff we have strong feelings about next year, which by the time this comes out will be next week. We finish Hellbent for Metal in its debut year with another hashtag Yes Homo. Uh, this is where we take a look at something from Heavy Metal's past that was meant to look mega hetero and went off-piste and found itself in an area of hamster teeth more famous for cottaging. Uh, please do not Google that term at work. At this time, it is one of the best classic heavy metal bands of them all and with one of their best works as we look at Balls to the Wall by Accept. Um, Joe, first up, I'm guessing with your taste, this album and Restless and Wild must be some of your favourites. Um, actually, I've never listened to those records, but I have recently discovered that I really like Accept. <laughs> yeah, I, I know why you've recently discovered it, but let's not let's not discuss that. I'm no. I have to say, with your appreciation for Iron Champion, if you don't like um, Restless and Wild and Balls the Wall, I would be 
genuinely surprised. I was already aware of this song, and I do love this song. Yes, and this song is is just absolutely amazing. But before we move on to the song itself, let's let's start with the artwork for the album because this is a. <laughs> uh, a no, actually, let's not start with the album. I'm going to change my mind because there's it's a very cha- good chance that I will just take us into somewhere we're not going to be able to get out of again. Um, yes, which is particularly dangerous for me again this time. Yes, um, let's deal with the uh, the the song itself because at the end of the video, and particularly when they do it live, there is a a thing that happens. So it's when they get to the there's a bit in this song where it's it's. They're going oh 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 oh. oh. That's a lot of that kind <laughs> yes. of stuff. Uh, I'm not going to try and sing because I'll ruin everyone's life. Um, but the they basically put their guitars and they always use flying V's in front of their crotch and start kind of bobbing back and forth like that. Like, yeah. in, like it looks like kind of imagine status quo but with their hips, <laughs> and they start doing that. Um, and it's it it is. I have to say, I saw the, my first except show was at Islington in 2010, Islington Academy. And I think, I, I tried to find out when their last UK show was, because they certainly didn't hadn't been to the UK since they'd got back before that. And as far as I can tell, I don't think they've been to the UK since the 90s, if ever, because they were mostly big on the continent. So yeah. I'm not sure if, if when the last UK show was, or if one had ever happened, but it was a long bloody time. And I was certainly <laughs> a literal child, previous time it had happened if it had um and t- and it was it was bloody great and it was really great and i was up on the balcony at islington because it was quite po- quite a popular social they were using the the balcony and so i was looking down when they played this song and andy sneep who produced their their return record andy sneep is a producer extraordinaire for heavy metal he's he's really good at making you know old bands sound fresh and vibrant uh, yeah. to the extent that he's now he was he was actually asked to join judas priest as a live guitarist <laughs> yeah. um I'm not kidding. He is Judas Priest live guitarist, uh, and he joined them. So you had three white flying V's instead of the normal two, uh, plus the bass player putting their instruments in front of their crotch and thrusting it back and forth. An audience full of mostly men. Um, now this is the most heavy metal thing I have ever ever seen, and I don't think it'll ever be topped. And there are plenty of bands who will try. But even Man of War aren't going to compete with that. I'm sorry, except to have it sewn up. It's also loads of men sticking a long instrument in front of their crotch and thrusting it back and forth against mostly men. Now, I've not seen that in my kind of personal life elsewhere myself, but I have heard there are places where you can pay for a similar kind of experience. <laughs> uh, but it's quite expensive and it's quite illicit. Um, am I being mad with this comparison? Uh, I have also not experienced that. I need to, because th- that almost sounded like you were trying to come to me as a point of authority. Um, no, no, no. Certainly <laughs> not. I, but, what uh, I'm saying is, do, am I the only person who thinks that this is is phallic and quite gay? No, I don't think. I, I, I can't imagine there are many people who don't think that. Well, no, actually, I'm sure there are plenty of people who can't see it at all. The front row at the gig definitely didn't see it. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's always the people that are super into it who are just don't can't quite figure out why that might be a comparison that people make but uh yeah i mean it's it's ridiculous it is <laughs> everything about it is ridiculous oh it's great that's why it's great is because it's that it's that era of traditional heavy metal that is just denim and leather and just the most ludicrous ridiculous over the top you know you know it's that thing when people go 
oh, I don't listen to metal because it's too silly. And you go, that's one of the best parts about it. Yes. Is that there's so much of it that is just kind of ridiculous. I always hate it when someone says that and then it says they they say like, they're like Katy Perry or something like that. And you're like, well, fuck off. Yeah, that's it's the exact same appeal to me. It's the, the reason I love all this old stuff is the same reason I am obsessed with pop music because it is just fun. Yeah. And there's not really a whole lot else going on. Yeah, and I want to say that. I, I'm not saying that as a dig at Katy Perry. That's one of the reasons Katy Perry's good. Yeah, because it's just over the top. And it's obviously in, in the world of pop, it's all super sugary and saccharine. And whereas, you know, with metal, it's Gay. often similar. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's this campy sort of. I don't know, it's just... But very much crotch-forward camp, isn't it? It's not like the emasculated homosexual camp of, of the carry-on films. It's very much no. a... It's, you know, it's Alan Cumming playing the MC in Cabaret. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's that. It's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not, you know, 1960s closeted stuff. No, not at all. But even once we get beyond, you know, the thrusting, which is pretty gay, and we, you, you, <laughs> so the fact there is part on. two to this discussion is it really tells you how <laughs> how little I had to go looking for this. I wasn't overthinking this and just desperately trawling oh, for no. content. This just was. This happened years ago. This leapt uh, out. Yeah, this this leapt out, and you know, asked for my number. Um, <laughs> we then have to get onto the artwork of the album itself because it is just, and I'm not exaggerating, it's a black and white picture of a zoomed right in on the right thigh and pelvis of a man who appears to be wearing leather pants and cuffs and not much else. Yeah. Do I need to really say more about why I might look at that and think that's a bit gay? I don't think so. I think we've kind of covered this already in previous episodes. But, uh, you know, it's it's the Judas Priest thing again, isn't it, really? But But um... it's it's like Judas Priest if, if he was out. If Rob Halford was yeah. out <laughs> yeah. and and quite happy to say no, I I, I like Dick. You know, this is what the, what Judas Priest would have looked like. But he was in the closet, so there was some subtlety to it. You know, they were at least wearing trousers. And you know, well, tops. yeah, that's the thing is there is a distinct lack of trousers in this shot. Which yes, is... I mean you can't quite see his right nut, but it's pretty close. Yeah, which is made up for the fact that in the video they are all wearing leather trousers. Yes, all of them. Yes, uh, um, and I'm. But I mean, if you, if you're at all unconvinced as to whether this is actually as gay as I say it is, <laughs> if you are currently somewhere where this won't earn you a chat with HR, um, look up Tom of Finland on the internet and then compare <laughs> those drawings with Balls to the Walls cover, because you know it's it, exactly the same. Yes, <laughs> and yeah, you know, for 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 context. Tom of Finland was definitely deliberately homoerotic, you know, essentially soft gay it's cartoon. It's exaggerated, porn. essentially, isn't yeah. it? Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's light erotica for an era where you know, gay men were only starting to become slightly emancipated in, <laughs> in the public eye. And I don't think the conclusion to draw from this is, is anything other than this was meant to look well hard and metal as hell, <laughs> but instead it's pure homoeroticism. Or put another way, the hard image is not necessarily the kind of hard they had in mind. Yeah, that well hard made me giggle like a little schoolgirl. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just... There's, I don't know, there's not all that much to be said, I don't think. It's just, it's so on the nose. And also the single artwork... It's nearly artwork, on something else. Well, yeah, the single artwork. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, yes. 
by the looks of things, is a man grasping a... It's a ball that I think might actually be a ball uh, that has been removed <laughs> by the looks of things. It's just, it looks like a just like he's just holding a little a little furry friend in his hand. It's, well, um, I mean, it looks like he. I mean, to be fair, it looks like he's holding a, a, a miniature shot put. I, but I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, in terms I of mean, the, uh, it's it's not less gay. I'm just saying that it's saying saying that that doesn't really look that much like any testicle I've held. <laughs> I mean, I'm just speaking going off, purely uh, from personal experience. I don't know. I'm go- I'm just going off. Uh, Given the context of, I don't know, just the song as well. I can't get the chorus out of my head. Um, yeah, it's just stupid. But yeah, I love it. But the thing is, it's like the choruses. I mean, except songs all often sound silly, but the lyrics are actually about something that's that's a bit less light-hearted. That it just sounds light-hearted because the context. Like the lyrics are basically about emancipation. And well, it's, yeah, it's obviously meant to be. You know, Udo Dirk Schneider is is uh is not trying to. I'm sure he doesn't sound to me like he's trying to sing about something that's you know well gay. No, I don't think he is. He's trying to sound about you've got to fight for your rights. But the issue with all of these bands is that no matter what they are singing about, it always sounds different. There is a bit in the video where a bunch of men headbang down a wall. Yes, that is hilarious. That is very funny. <laughs> Which is my favourite part of the video. Uh, that and uh, Udo swinging on a. Um, Wrecking ball like Miley oh, Cyrus. Oh yes, is yes, also brilliant. Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah the Miley Cyrus, but very very different is uh, yeah. is a great moment. It's just a good video. Just go and put it on immediately. Yes, everyone should just go immediately. Go and you know bump up balls to the walls, um, YouTube numbers because it is it is amazing song and also live. It's one of the most fun things in the world. That that um bit with the oars is is yeah. the crowd participation is amazing. <laughs> But that's probably enough for uh, enough gay and metal for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, more worshipping at the uh, Cathedral of Metal. And uh, we will uh, see you in 2021. Uh, it, thank you very much to everyone who's listened this year. It's been uh, an experience and uh, we've really enjoyed it. And we look forward to uh, seeing you in the new year. Uh, but until then, uh, Joe, love to talk to you as always. You too. Let's hope next year is a, at least a bit less shit. That would be nice. <laughs> just, just you know, we can we we will take degrees of le- of shit rather than. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'll take anything at this point. Yep, yeah, that's entirely a sex. Way up. Um, so you keep handing me those lines. You've I'm not got, handing you anything. You've got you've got you've got to stop setting me up like this. You know, you're putting David Beckham crosses into in for me to just nod into the back of the net here. Um, but enough of yeah. Let's, he doesn't get the sport references, so we'll we'll move on and just say uh, thank you very much. See you in twenty twenty one and listen to Slayer. Twenty twenty two one. I'm only joshing. No, that's going to be the last line of the show. I liked it. Oh no. <laughs> 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 <laughs>